Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first, and their covered wagons, they find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. Hello, everyone. This is Chris with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is Christine Gagné of Gagné Margosian. Welcome, Christina. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me, Chris. Fantastic. Yeah, we're we're so glad to uh, have a, an expert in your field here today. So, Christina, if you wouldn't mind, give us a bit of background, um, how you got into the, the legal space. So my law firm is an internet law boutique, and what does that mean? Uh, we apply many traditional practice areas to all of the sort of nebulous, wild west uh, activities that are happening on the internet. So whether that is in more of a policy advisement role on issues like net neutrality, or you know directly providing legal counsel on issues like international privacy compliance or securities laws, you know our firm has formed a practice that is trying to run in tandem with our clients as well as the progression, the very fast progression, you know, of technology. Uh, my partner and I actually started the firm right out of law school. Um, we went to law school in San Francisco and since then have built a practice that you know, works with startups uh, in a very holistic sense. So we don't only advise them about, you know, the basics, the ABCs, like entity formation, you know, funding assistance, uh, we also try to help our clients have a view of the regulations that impact uh, their space. And due to all the innovation that is happening right now in a variety of different industry verticals, 
it's really helpful, you know, to be able to build relationships with our clients and make sure that, you know, they're aware sort of of the larger picture um, for a variety of reasons. So they're successful and also they don't run into regulatory trouble. Very good. What was it that, that drew you and your partner into, um, into this unique realm? My interest uh, in the technology law space actually began as an undergraduate student uh, back in the early 2000s uh, when these classes were a novelty. I took an internet business and law class and I absolutely fell in love with internet law. Uh, my background is actually as an intellectual property attorney uh, doing copyright, trademark, and trade secrets work, uh, and I found myself quickly moving into privacy and securities compliance. Okay, very good. So let's, uh, let's jump right into it. We have so many legal precedences out there and, and things going on, the legal side of things, especially related to ICOs, cryptocurrency, um, just the blockchain realm in general. Give us a, a bit of history that you have seen in 2017, um, and maybe let's get into uh, current things going down in, in the legal side of this. And towards the end, we'll we'll kind of broadcast what's, um, what we'll see in the future. So let's let's start at the beginning. What have we seen in 2017, maybe before that, leading up to where we are now? So I would divide 2017 into three different eras, uh, and temporally they are not the same length, but I think the first era is pre-DAO report, so pre-July 25th, uh, 2017, uh, when the SEC, and I believe this is probably their position, issued the first warning about ICOs, initial coin offerings, and token sales. And they tried to make clear that this is not something that was going to remain sort of happening in a Wild West fashion and that regulators were going to start entering the space. And so I believe that started a trend of, you know, industry participants, whether they were going to be issuers of tokens or investors in tokens, becoming more aware that securities regulators and other financial institution regulators were now interested in this space and were actively going to be monitoring it. Now, some companies took that report to heart and started to approach uh, these offerings in the framework in which they should be approached, which is as securities offerings, at least here in the United States. Others just decided that they still were going to go out and engage in token sales and, you know, what happens would happen. Um, and unfortunately, you know, that, that approach did not work. Um, you know, late in 2017, um, the SEC started to you know, issue public statements, um, testify in front of Congress, uh, start to issue settlements that could now be public that made it clear that, you know, the SEC was looking at many of these sales as an illegal offering of securities under Section 5 of the Securities Act. And once companies started to become aware that the SEC was actively investigating and would actively open investigations and move down a settlement or move down another legal pathway with companies, I think companies really started to think that they had to start, you know, deciding whether or not they were going to proceed with sales in the United States or they were going to seek legal counsel that could guide them in appropriately abiding by the Securities Act and the Exchange Act. So early, you know, 2017 sort of sets the stage for what is happening right now in 2018. Um, but I think that because it was not sort of this very strong out-of-the-gate approach from regulators, I think many industry participants just didn't take the regulatory context seriously. And what I mean by that is uh, this is a space that was ripe for self-regulation. And it is 
you know, foolhardy in my belief to think that you as an entity could raise millions of dollars and have no accountability. I mean, there are checks and balances in the venture capital space, in the private equity space. And some of those spaces are even seen as sort of wild west spaces still. But there's still appropriate checks and balances. Um, and it was only a matter of time before regulators were going to come in and provide or maybe clarify what those checks and balances were. And this is not just something that is happening in the United States. There's happened in the United States. You know, you've seen China, which is a, you know, a very uh, large jurisdiction where token sales were infinitely popular, ban ICOs. You've seen South Korea take action. You know, every single week, seemingly a new jurisdiction is coming up with laws or potential regulations or regulatory conversations about what to do with ICOs and cryptocurrency. So, you know, 2017, I think, was, you know, a setting of the table uh, of what was going to happen in 2018. But now we are actually seeing regulators get very serious about examining companies, examining ICOs, and wanting to make sure the consumers are protected. And I think what often is forgotten in this space is Securities law is rooted in consumer protection law, and the SEC is trying to make sure that if companies have been out raising money, they're going to build the platforms they promised to build. They're going to spend the money in the way they said they would, because many participants that are getting in and investing now are first-time investors. The traditional markets were not attractive to them, and they're getting into this, but they might not understand the underlying technology and the underlying risks. So, you know, 2017, I think, slowly set the stage for all this. 2018, we're actually seeing direct action from regulators. Yeah, it, that's a, an interesting purview, especially um, considering the companies that chose the, I don't want to say right path, but chose a, a more conservative path, you know, towards, you know, being already involved in, um, in thinking about how regulation will affect things long term. And so it, it's kind of, Almost, it's it's kind of like we're paying attention to the bad kid in the class rather than rather than the good ones. So um, seeing those two points branch off and 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 dealing with the you know the the ones that maybe hit were more questionable in 2017, um, it's it's a curious thing to see how this will will play out for for those that are already had um, the regulatory mindset set and how they'll advance into the future. What are your thoughts on that? So in, in my belief, as a practitioner um, and, and seeing everything that's been happening publicly released from the commission, uh, you know, I think it's clear that if you are abiding by the Securities Act, um, and there are pathways, and even the chairman has made it clear in his public statements that there are legal pathways in order to engage in a token sale. I mean, there are exempt offerings, there's going the IPO route. These are all things that have traditionally happened, and if companies want to do these offerings, those are potential pathways for offerings. But, you know, that is a much more onerous process uh, than just doing a sale on a website and collecting millions of dollars without doing the appropriate disclosure documents, without having subscription agreements, without having restricted securities. And I believe that's why some companies shied away from compliance with the Securities Act initially, is that they didn't like the concept of the lockups. Because in exempt offerings, for example, under the Securities Act, the tokens are restricted. They can't be sold for a year to U.S. in, in the United States. So I think there was a lot of hesitancy to quickly adopt these rules and these restrictions. But now it's clear that 
these rules and these restrictions have to be adopted. So, you know, I don't know what the FCC's enforcement path, you know, is going to be, um, but it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, they are looking at what happened in 2017 with an eye on the fact that potentially, you know, the actions, the public comments, the settlements they reached in 2017 set out a warning. And I do think it has paused some companies from engaging in sales until they're more clear what the SEC is going to do. Um, and a wave of subpoenas did go out. This is publicly available information. Many outlets have reported on it. You know, some, out, some you know, outlets have gotten leaked documents related to these investigations. They're happening. Um, and I suspect that we will know in the next few months what the result of those investigations is. And what I mean by that is some companies are just going to want to settle. Um, you know, getting into a knockout, drag out fight with the regulators, not always the best idea. So some of these companies will definitely settle. And once they do, those settlements will become public and we'll have a better idea of what the SEC feels about these sales in a variety of situations. And truly what I think they're trying to root out is fraud. So I think some companies errantly engaged in violations of the Securities Act by illegally offering the securities, but they weren't trying to commit a fraud. And I think that that's truly what's trying to be rooted out here is companies that actively tried to perpetrate a fraud on investors. And it, you made a comment about, you know, sort of looking at the bad kid in the class and sort of ignoring the good kids. Um, I think the good kids are waiting for regulation. Um, but unfortunately, the way our regulatory system works, we're not going to get regulation quickly. And I say that because if we look at sort of the last great innovation in securities law, the Jobs Act and regulation crowdfunding, you know, that was passed back in 2012. The regulations, it took years for those regulations that actually allow for the implementation of regulation crowdfunding to be finalized. So regulation isn't an overnight process. So truly, the good kids are going to have to take cues from the Securities and Exchange Commission, other global regulators, and, and figure out what they should do and what they should not do. So from a, from a large um, firm standpoint, from an ICO or um, you know, token offering that's, that's really, really large, um, they're typically gonna have more access, more research, and they're definitely gonna have counsel. Um, if in-house counsel, um, I'm, I'm not sure, but what, what do the smaller um, companies do in terms of acquiring counsel and and making sure that they're on the right pathway to success? So in my experience, um, and you know, I have my own, obviously my own client portfolio, but I also know other companies that are doing this and have sought counsel of other firms. Um, you know, sort of what I have seen is companies trying to find counsel who are familiar, not only with the Securities Act and not only with securities and financial regulation laws, but also familiar with the blockchain space, with the token sales space. They know the nomenclature. They know how these sales happen. They know the vendors in the space. They understand that, like, how to, how to vet accredited investors. Like, they've do, done these types of sales very routinely. Um, and so that's what I know smaller companies have looked for is perhaps more nimble law firms or, you know, niche practices inside of larger law firms that actually get the space. Because, much of what is being now plugged into these sales since the SEC has made the sale pathway clear, uh, you know, you follow the Securities Act or you could get in trouble, 
Um, you know, some firms have, you know, tried and true securities practices, and they know the Securities Act like the back of their hand. Doesn't mean they sort of understand how to plug that into a token sale um, and how that operates and what the goals of the founders are, or the goals of an existing company are in trying to do a token sale to launch a new vertical, for example. So I guess my advice uh, to companies, individuals looking for counsel in the space is make sure there's a fluency with the space, but also they understand what might be coming. Regulation in the space seems to change on a weekly basis, and it's important for your counsel to know what's happening globally, because if you start a sale and the laws change in two countries, you have to then change your sale because you have to then comply with the changing laws. So I would advise founders to look for, you know, CEOs, whoever is running a sale for an existing or a new company, find legal counsel who actually gets the space and also has a securities background. So I think those two things will be the most helpful in making sure your compliance uh, is, is perfect or near perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. So what do you think, um, just a general overview, what do you think are some, some common mistakes that are initially made when it comes to um, do ICOs paying attention to uh, Security Act uh, information and, and following that legal pathway? So some of the obligations are under the Securities Act and just misunderstanding those. So some companies are still taking the position that, for example, and this is industry nomenclature, that they are utility tokens. And I believe that that is in the real non-legal, non-regulatory world a thing. There are tokens that are used in ecosystems and immediately provide utility to a user, to an owner of the token. Uh, and this is not a novel concept, like tokenizing things has been around for quite a while. You know, other, you know, the video game industry, other industries have used similar concepts and have not been regulated. The issue here is the sale of those tokens and the fact that they can also be speculative instruments. So I think that's one of the bigger conflicts right now is that, you know, if you look at the Securities Act, you know, that that is a very old regulatory regime and we keep applying it and maybe we've hit the first point where the securities act just doesn't quite fit in with what's happening in the marketplace and this is probably not the first time it's definitely not the first time that's the case but this is a huge friction point and so you know i empathize with companies who you know truly have spent the time actually building technology have a working platform have a token that works on that platform and are not intending their instruments to be speculative, but it's just really unclear from the Securities and Exchange Commission, um, you know, whether or not there could ever be a utility token. And from my read of everything that's come out in my experience, I think at this point, that is not a reality from a regulatory perspective if you want to do a sale in the U.S. So I think okay. that's probably one of the biggest friction points. Um, and in Singapore, they've taken a completely different approach. The Monetary Authority of Singapore has created a regulatory sandbox and has actually put out case studies of when something might be a security, when an instrument might be a security, and when it might be a utility token. So in terms of, I guess, advice, if you, know, what you, if you think what you are doing is a utility token, maybe look to do offerings out of a jurisdiction legally where that's a legal reality. Because here in the U.S., uh, I think the SEC has to now taken a position that they would be hard pressed to find something that the industry would understand to be a utility token. 
Okay. I'm, I'm interested from the bringing Singapore into and, you know, other nationalities as well. I'm interested in a very, very long-term perspective on this. How do you see um, regulation eventually fitting together on a global scale? I know that's a really broad question, but we have, you know, we have um, leaders in, in other parts of the world establishing clear views on things. Um, do you think it will kind of get into a homogenous viewpoint? How long do you think that will take? Uh, what are your kind of general ideas on on the long-term regulations from a global perspective? In terms of global homogeneity as it relates to securities and financial regulations in this space, that's likely not going to happen. I think what we are going to see, though, is jurisdictions who are sort of catching up from behind start to implement their own frameworks that are educated by their existing financial services and securities frameworks. So there are some jurisdictions who have really tried to craft laws that are business friendly. It is my belief those jurisdictions will craft laws that are blockchain and cryptocurrency friendly, and some of them have already done that. And so companies may elect to do business out of those jurisdictions because it's more flexible with the technology and more flexible with this way to raise capital. Other jurisdictions are going to probably take an approach that's not too far off from what will probably eventually land in, in the U.S. So I think the EU has been a little slow at this point to come out with guidance and certainly hasn't come out with regulations to date. Uh, I think there's going to be a shift in that over the next nine months, so I wouldn't be surprised. Other jurisdictions who have implemented bans, I think the ban was a knee-jerk reaction so that regulators would get time to figure out what to do. Uh, this space is moving very fast for industry participants and regulators, and so some took the approach of let's just halt everything and figure out what we're going to do to regulate the space. So I think we will see a move away from a total ban on these cryptocurrency sales and cryptocurrency transactions, um, but we might see you know, more onerous regulation or more clear regulation that these instruments are actually securities. In the U.S., okay. uh, unless something completely changes, uh, I think we're going to see enforcement um, initially, and you know, I don't know if there's going to be any legislation advance that addresses some of this. Okay, um, yeah, that's kind of the next direction I wanted to head with bringing it back to the U.S. Um, you mentioned some things that we'll we'll see in 2018. What are your kind of predictions for 2019 and maybe the next three years? If I were going to label 2018, I would say it's the year of the pause button. I think many companies are going to wait through the next, this quarter and the next two quarters to see what happens from a regulatory perspective. I think 2019 is going to be the year of the security offering in this space. Also, the year of you know companies that want to fight the securities issues. You know, you know, starting those those legal battles. And I think 2020, we're actually going to see maybe a more of a level set more of a flow or routine in this space of participants understanding like this is the current legal landscape and just proceeding accordingly. And once everyone in the industry adjusts, and this is going to take some time, investors, uh, you know, venture capital firms, issuers, there's so many industry participants. Once everybody's on the same page that we're all in this regulatory boat together, 
I think we will have a robust ecosystem uh, of these sales that are hopefully protecting consumers and also allowing these companies to be innovative and grow their businesses. Very good. So what, when this starts to level out in 2020, how do you see that affecting markets just in general? I know in 2017, we, you know, we have all this, the wild west, as we mentioned earlier, all this excitement. And then, you know, of course in December and, and uh, early January, we, we see large, large fluctuations in, in, uh, you know, various cryptocurrencies. What, how do you see the kind of the, the graph moving along in the, for investors with cryptocurrencies in, in 2020? So I think that we will move away from this sort of gold rush mentality. Uh, I had a conversation a few days ago and someone made a gold rush analogy and I thought that was a very appropriate analogy. I think we're going to move away from everybody hearing there's gold and, you know, running uh, in order to mine it as quickly as possible to people taking pause and thinking strategically about maybe partnering up with people before going out and finding that gold. I also think you're going to see an industry shift and maybe a industry professionals created that are there selling, you know, the picks and the shovels uh, versus mining the gold. So I believe in the last, you know, year or two, lawyers, accountants, consultants in this space um, who were trying to endorse compliant behavior were sort of ignored or cast aside. I think those people are going to become a vital resource to make sure that the market is able to remain vibrant. Uh, and that's a very U.S.-centric, EU-centric comment. I think globally, you know, who knows what's going to happen in some jurisdictions. And so we might see a shift to if there are markets that don't regulate and markets that are wide open, we just might see this concentration of these sales in those markets. And that's sort of the thing that's the known unknown is, you know, these cryptocurrency for all of its promise is also volatile. Um, not that other currencies aren't volatile. Uh, but if there are other markets that are going to sort of avoid regulation, uh, you know, that could cause a, a wholesale shift, uh, you know, into those other jurisdictions until, for example, in jurisdictions like the U.S., there is a more clear regulatory path. And by that, I mean, there's actual regulation that fits the technology. Okay. Yeah, those, that's a, a definitely a good wide view of, of the things that are happening. What are some things that that you're per personally excited about in this particular area? So a couple of, of trends I think are really exciting. Um, you know, I think we are seeing uh, a variety of businesses who the traditional venture capital route may not have been successful find success. So while the headlines, you know, in the last couple months seem to be focusing on enforcement and fraud and a lack of success, you know, I, I'm excited by companies who are doing innovative things with blockchain technology and, and have raised funding and, and I believe are going to build really innovative solutions to, to problems. So I think that is really exciting. Um, there's always a debate about access to capital in the venture uh, space, and this definitely allows new participants to come in and do innovative things. Uh, I think we're going to start seeing some larger companies, uh, you know, play in the ICO space. Uh, I think some of those companies have been, and I think rightly so, sitting on their hands until some of these uh, regulatory issues become more clear. Uh, I think it'll be exciting to see what those companies do with blockchain and the ICO space. 
Um, well, I think what's more interesting is you're seeing state by state here in the U.S. Uh, an adoption of blockchain laws um, and wanting to integrate the technology into everything from the corporate ledger to other records keeping. So, you know, Wyoming, California, Delaware being the first state, you're seeing states you know, really get excited about the technology and start to re like regulate around it. And I don't use regulate in a negative term, but try to provide frameworks so that blockchain can be integrated into government, and integrated into the business environment. So that for me, while not the sexiest thing on earth, I think it's really exciting because of the way, you know, our U.S. Uh, state level laws do impact a lot of economic growth. Excellent. Any final thoughts before we wrap today? I was going to give, I think, a final kernel of thought to everyone who's participating in this space. I believe that what's been happening the last three or four months, uh, people are taking quite a negative view of it from a regulatory perspective. Um, oftentimes, the technology space uh, is sort of viewed as, you know, anti-government, anti-regulator, and there are some people that take that view. Uh, but I think that what will be productive out of enforcement and out of the new regulations that come in different jurisdictions is, you know, first, it'll foster self-regulation, which might temper some actual regulation. And second, you know, there's no reason why to legitimize cryptocurrency, to legitimize this industry, to legitimize this technology, uh, that companies shouldn't want to abide by the law. Uh, I think that the more legitimate, the more law-abiding, you know, actors are in this space, um, you know, it's going to get more public traction. It's going to grow. And I think we're going to see, you know, some positive change in this space. I think right now, though, we are in a friction period. Uh, but I believe that, you know, once we get out of this friction period, uh, you know, this whole ecosystem will be better for it. Excellent. Christina, thank you so much for your wisdom and your insight today. Thank you for having me, Chris. Yeah, definitely. Christina Gagne of Gagne Margosian. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but we'll showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you.
You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.